Thank you so much, Sue, uh, for sharing with our kids, and thank you for this week, and you and Becca and the team that was uh, serving our kids this week. Did a lot of great teaching, and you'll see some of the, the physical stuff of what they were doing this week. Uh, these boxes, uh, I'm sure some of you parents were behind this, but we got uh, families to help uh, paint some of these little boxes that were representing bricks and stones uh, with the theme of, of Kids Camp, uh, kind of talking about this uh, part of the story of God where there's a, a tearing down of Jerusalem and there's a building up. And uh, so these were part of some of the um, object lessons and moving and building that the kids were doing this past week. And so I'm really uh, glad that uh, we got this little physical representation here for us. And, and we want to talk more about this and uh, this theme of tearing down and building up, which kind of keeps recurring. But uh, in, the, in this moment, I just want to take a little uh, moment to give a little pillar progress report. And I uh, told you that I wanted to be uh, share information with you as I got it and, and to also uh, be as transparent as we can. So uh, first, uh, if, if you got that slide of the current, current layout of this, and this might be a good time to do it since uh, the capacity of this room is 340. Right now there's around 370 of you in here. Uh, and so I'd just like to point out, there's a fire exit right there. Behind that screen, see there's a little sign above the screen that says fire exit? There's an exit right there. There's the door you came in. And then there's this uh, side door that goes out to the alley. goes straight to the outside. So I, I just want to make sure you know that uh, since we're all packed in here. But this is one of the reasons that uh, we, we try to raise some funds is that we want to try to raise the capacity of this room so we have a little more breathing room. And, and what's happened is that we've immediately filled it up and there isn't as much breathing room as I thought there were going to be. So uh, that's a good problem to have for a church. Uh, it's, it's good. But I uh, just want to let you know that uh, we, we did get the designs back from the architect. And, and, and then we have this uh, future uh, view of what we need to do and, and, and some of what the fire marshal asked us to do to uh, correct things. And so there's a, there's a wall right here that needs to be torn out. So it's a direct exit to the uh, parking, lot, parking deck out there. Uh, that door needs to be a double door thing. And then uh, out here on the side, uh, they want that alley door changed to double door, which means shrinking the garage door, changing concrete. And then there needs to be a hallway blasted right through here between these two rooms. And, and uh, we originally thought that uh, from conversations that this was going to cost us uh, somewhere between $20,000 and $30,000 to do. I know some of you are just swallowing hard at that amount. Um, but it all has to do with being in the city. Everything's licensed, contractors, workers, and uh, codes, and all those kind of things. And uh, it, it's just the way it is in the city. So I want to show you also just what we've spent already. Uh, and what we're going to do is there go, there's going to be a pillar progress page on our webpage. And uh, this is a, a general uh, expense. We have a detailed expense list where you can see where every penny has gone of we've spent. Of the $31,000 that has been raised, we have, I didn't check and see how much we spent, but yeah, the remaining is $14,000. And so that plus what the management of this building is going to give towards it, another twelve, dollars we have you know, $24,000, $26,000 to do that, which we thought, hey, that'll be enough uh, to take care of our exits, It'll be in the ballpark, we might have to raise a little more if it's more on the $30,000 end. 
Uh, what we found out from a contractor who got the architect plans two and a half weeks ago, uh, we said, hey, do, do the estimates on, the, on, the, on the, all the doors, on the life safety, and uh, came back to me and, and said, well, I didn't do, all it all, do it all, I just did that one alley door, and I just want to tell you something, there's a problem there. And uh, so the door, uh, because of a lot of different reasons, you can ask uh, some contractors here why, but uh, I, don't, I still don't understand, but $60,000 plus to change out a door. Uh, and get that entrance correct and concrete stairs and all that kind of stuff and so uh, tearing up stuff so it's one of those things where um, you know I swallowed hard when I heard that and uh, said I don't think we can spend that much money on an entrance for a place that we're just uh, we got leased for for three years so uh, so we're trying to find to see if there's another solution for that exit uh, we're they're still trying to find out if uh, what happens if we don't change that exit but change the other exits will will that raise some amount of capacity or not or accomplish what we hope to do and so we're still at a place where we're trying to find more information uh, and we're still waiting so until we can make a decision uh, if it turns out that uh, no there's it's all or nothing if you don't do it all you don't get any raise in, in capacity then we're to the place where, well, we're going to have to do two gatherings here, which we knew eventually would come. We didn't realize it would happen this soon. So uh, if that's the case. So we're, we're still finding information, still finding information. want to let you know about that. Uh, you can go to the website to learn more information. So that's the little pillar progress report. Uh, if there's other questions, you can ask that uh, to me or some of the other staff later. Um, but today, in, in kind of talking about... Um, Building physical buildings. There, there is this uh, theme verse that's been used with our children that I, I really believe points to a different kind of building that we need to have our eyes on. And it's First Peter. Sue just quoted. I just want to share it to you in a different translation. So, yeah, that's wrong. Um, well, it's not wrong. It's just a different translation. But I just want you to close your eyes and listen to this. Would you close your eyes and listen to this? Welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workmen took one look and threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary, vibrant with life, in which you'll serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. The scriptures provide precedent. Look. I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. You can open your eyes now. So I want to tell you a story that's about a physical building, but all the talk about a physical building is really pointing to a spiritual building, to a spiritual house, a spiritual kingdom that God is building. And, and the reason the story is recorded for us today so that we can talk about it here is that we might look to the architect, to the one who holds the whole house together. Jesus is the cornerstone of that spiritual house and we are all living stones being built into it. 
Now, there's, there's a few characters that I just want you to get the names straight that are in this story. There's four that I want you to remember, four names. Uh, two are the names uh, Zechariah and Haggai. They're both prophets living at the same time, in the same place, speaking to the same people. God is using them both. God can do that. Uh, he can use more than one person to get the same message out to his people. Uh, Zechariah and Haggai. And they're living in the time, this is about 500 years before Christ comes. Now we know that about 400 years before Christ, there's just a period of silence where God no longer speaks through his prophets to the people until Jesus comes. And so we're right at that last time where God is saying his final words before Jesus comes. And, and so and Haggai and Zechariah are two of these prophets that are speaking some of these words. Now the other two characters that I want you to think about are, uh, that are in this story they're going to tell is... Uh, Zerubbabel. It sounds like a, a Babylonian or Persian name, but, it's, but he is a Hebrew. And he has been appointed by the king to be the governor over Judah. And, and uh, even though it's a Persian empire at this point. So he's the governor of Judah. He's a leader that's gone with people to Israel. And then the other person is uh, Jeshua. Jeshua is the high priest at the time. And he is the one who is also going back with the people to help rebuild the temple. So, here's the story. At the end of Daniel's life, at the end of Daniel's life, the Babylonian Empire ends and is overtaken by the Persian Empire. And the new king of the Persians is Cyrus. And Cyrus was prophesied about by Isaiah 130 years before he ever got on the throne. And it was prophesied by Isaiah that Cyrus was going to let the people who were captive free to go back and build the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. At the time Isaiah was saying this, the temple was still standing. At the time Isaiah prophesied this, the, the, the walls were still there. Nobody was in captivity from Judah. And so this was spoken and people had no idea who this Cyrus person was. And it turns out that this King Cyrus is somebody who does not even acknowledge God as the Almighty Creator. But yet, he releases the people and he commands the captive Israelites to go back and build the temple of God. God can use whoever he wants. And over 42,000 Israelites decide to return to Jerusalem and to be a part of the rebuilding. And so they... they Go and, and uh, again, these are kind of the pioneers. There are still Israelites who remain behind in the Persian Empire. Now, the leaders at the time are Jeshua the priest and then Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. And when the people arrive, they, they, the first thing they do is they all contribute towards the rebuilding of the temple. That's the first thing they did. Before they even went to go and settle in their homes, they go and contribute to the temple. And then the newly released captives there in, in Judah, in Jerusalem... Uh, though there's no temple, everything is in ruins. The walls are torn down. The, the temple's torn down. It's just heaps of stones and, and bricks laying around. They build an altar to begin resuming the sacrifices to God. Sacrifices of thanksgiving, sacrifices for sin. And so uh, it begins. And after they build that temple, then they all, they all go home. They, they all go home. And for the next two years, the people of Judah... Are, are building their own houses, building their farms, planting their crops so that they can survive. All right? And so they, they take time to do that. And then they come back after that two years, 
And, and, and what they do is they, with the Levites, they help lay down the foundation of the temple. And as, as the last stone is being put into place, they decide that they're going to do a dedication of the foundation of the temple. And they're going to do a, a party, basically. And so they do a big party, includes a praise time. And, and in their praise time, they got a lot of shouters. And so if you're into making a lot of noise when you worship, here's your, here's your place that you can turn to. It's all recorded in Ezra. And, uh, and so the shouters are shouting out praise to God. But there's this other group that, that are not shouters. In fact, they're doing the exact opposite because they were some really older folks that had seen the former temple of Solomon. Now get this, these people had to be pretty old. They had to be at least mid-80s or in their 90s to have seen the temple of Solomon when they were maybe 5 to 15 years old. And so they had this memory from when they were children of the temple of Solomon, and, and then they were taken away 70 years in, in Babylon, and then they finally get the chance to go home, and they go home, and all the young people are, are just like, yeah, man, the foundation of the temple's being laid, and they're doing their shouting, and then all the old people who had seen it before are wailing, they're weeping. Now, and, and again, when they, when they cry and they weep, think Jewish, uh, Hebrew culture, this, is, this isn't the... <laughs> This is a, whoa! It's that kind of wailing, all right? And that's what's going on. And it says in Ezra, on that day, it was said, no one could distinguish the sounds of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. You know, I, I had a little bit of that when, when I heard the news about the stuff going on here. I had a, whoa! And, uh... And it's funny, you know, when you talk about who God, he can use whoever he wants to speak to you. Um, God used Mick Jagger to speak to me. Uh, and uh, it was that song, and, and I didn't grow up, he wasn't on the radio. I mean, he was a little before my time. So I, I, it's, it's interesting that this song came to mind, and it was, uh, You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want, but you try sometime. You might just get what you need. And so, um, hey, I mean, he can use Balaam's donkey. He can use Mick Jagger, right? Um, and, that, and that really spoke to me. And, and in that moment, uh, wailing, rejoicing. You know, the, the, there's a mixed emotions about what, what's going on here. But, and I bring that up because there, there is a point here where we're going to talk about Zechariah and Haggai. They're going to introduce something here. They're going to introduce the name, a new name for the coming Savior. Haggai uses the name, the desired of all nations. And you kind of go, well, is he really desired by all nations? I mean, is that really what the nations want? And, and uh, there's a question coming up here for you guys. And, and, the, and, you know, and there's what we want, there's what, what we need. And sometimes we, we get things messed up. And we're not sure what's what. Sometimes we've got to let God sort it out. What's a need and what's a want. And, uh, and so we need to think about what we want. And uh, I'm going to bring that back up. And it is connected with this name, the desired of all nations. Um, so there's weeping, there's wailing, there's all this crying, there's rejoicing and shouting. And the day comes and goes. And... All that, that big celebration and all that noise must have attracted some attention from some of the neighboring countries and, and nations. And it was at that point that there were some of the enemies of the nation of Israel 
that said, we don't want to see this happen. We don't want to see a reviving of this city, Jerusalem. We don't want to see a reviving of this temple. We don't want to see a reviving of the walls being rebuilt. And, and you know what? When I read that, I just go, now what? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? These people aren't bugging you. They aren't bothering you. It's their own territory. It's their own place. Why are you bugging them? Why, why can't you just leave them alone? And it's just the thing that we got to remember that there is an enemy to our souls and there is an enemy of God. And that enemy of God opposes what God wants done. God wanted his temple rebuilt. God wanted his people back in that city. And there was someone opposing it. And it is frustrating. But we've got to recognize that the enemy of our souls is still around today. And he still tries to oppose what God wants to do in us, in each of us. What he's doing around us. So, the, these enemies, they hired counselors to frustrate the plans of, of the Hebrew people. And to discourage them in their work. And eventually, it led to some local governors of the surrounding regions of Judah to come and physically stop the Hebrews from their rebuilding. And so they compel them by force to stop building the temple. And so the newly released captives, they, they get some opposition to what God and King Cyrus had told them to do. And the building, they're so scared, and they've been so shut down, that nothing happens for 16 years. 16 years, the foundation lays there, the altar is there, and, and the high priest is, and, and his cohorts, Levites, are going to that altar that's in an open sky with a bunch of rubbly stones all around them, making those sacrifices of people. And I'm sure that priest is going, what in the world? This wasn't the plan. How long am I going to be doing this? But the building stops for 16 years. The people are scared. And at this point in the story, I'm asking, what's up with Jeshua, the high priest? What's up with Zerubbabel, this governor? I mean, they got orders from king, the king of Persia, the highest authority in the land. Why don't they go to him and, and get back up, you know, backed up what they're doing? Why don't they, what's going on? But they, these two leaders are shut down. They're paralyzed with fear or something. Something's got them where they're not doing anything. Now, King Cyrus, during this 16 years, he dies. I think that, and, and we're not sure where that happens, so maybe that's part of the complication that goes on here in this story. But he dies somewhere during this 16 years, and the new king, Darius, the new king of Persia, arises. And it's around this time that the prophet Haggai and Zechariah show up. And it simply says this in the history book of Ezra. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel and Jeshua set to work to build the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. And, and I'm kind of looking at them going, what in the world did Zechariah and Haggai say to these two leaders and to all these people that something that was at a standstill for 16 years all of a sudden gets picked up again and moving forward. And at the same time, there's some opposition that does come at this point. I mean, some of the surrounding nations say, hey, didn't we tell you not to touch that? Didn't we tell you? Try to slap their hand, get them to stop. But this time, Zerubbabel, the governor, and Jeshua, the priest, they pay no mind. They pay no mind to that, and they say, sorry, we've got to do our work. We've got to do what God commanded us. And so, 
I'm sitting there scratching my head. What did Haggai and Zechariah say to these two leaders and to the people? And so we'll start first with what Haggai said. Let's, let's look at his words. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse that has holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber. Bring down timber and build the house of the Lord so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Well, it's very plain words. And it's easy to understand. I mean, these people wanted security. They were surrounded by their enemies. And so they chose to get what they wanted by building a house for themselves instead of trusting God to be their security. But there was something that was said in these words that must have hit the heart of these people because they started acting, started doing, started building. And so this is what was initially said. And Zerubbabel the governor and Jeshua the priest, along with the people, obey God. And they begin building the temple again. In fact, the scripture says that the Lord stirred up their spirits. And they came and began the work. So it stirred up the spirit of the leaders, spirit of the people, all in the city. Sometimes wonder, maybe, maybe that's what God needs to do in us. He needs to stir us up. He needs to stir up the leaders of the church. He needs to stir up the leaders of the city. So everyone gets stirred up and they begin working. But opposition arises again. Now, isn't it when you face opposition and doing something right, doing something that you feel like God has told you to do, when you, when you face some opposition that you're tempted to think, maybe this isn't God's will. You know, because I'm getting this opposition. I mean, who said doing what God wants to do is going to be easy? Who said doing what God wants you to do is just going to be a cakewalk? I'm not sure where that phrase came from. I'm not sure what a cakewalk is. But But anyway, you know, sometimes we might think that. Or we might, you know, maybe we wouldn't be tempted to think, well, maybe it's not God's will. But maybe we'd be tempted to think, well, it's the Lord's will, but maybe it's not the right time. You know, shouldn't we expect opposition to God's will? I mean, we we seem to see that throughout the scriptures, throughout history. Well, Haggai's Haggai's words spoke directly to the maybe it's not not time temptation. But there are some words that have to be spoken directly to Zerubbabel and to Jeshua. And I think Zerubbabel, I, I think he's someone who's maybe starting to consider this temptation, is all this worth it? I mean, this temple isn't as nice as the former temple of Solomon. I mean, what are we accomplishing? 
And it was true. I mean, the, the temple that they were laying the foundations for, it was smaller. It was not as glorious as Solomon's temple of the past. And, you know, and it was also lesser than the future temple that was going to be built by Herod. And so, there they are, in the middle. And have you ever been in that spot before? Where you got your ideas from the past of how great something could be because you got your past expectations that you're bringing to the present and you hope to match those past memories or or do you got your future ideal you got your imagination of what things could be and and you're imagining those things and, and trying to bring them into the the present and imagining how glorious things will be but instead of past glory or future glory you just end up with the present <laughs> and it's not so glorious it's just simple. It's just adequate. It's just enough. Well, Haggai speaks to that before Zerubbabel is tempted to quit. Haggai says this, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work. For I am with you. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So God acknowledges that this temple that they've laid a foundation for is simple. It's not glorious. But he encourages Zerubbabel to build it anyway. And he goes on to tell him why. Because God is going to take care of the glory part. What they're building doesn't look so glorious, but God is saying, don't worry about that. I take care of the glory stuff. And the Lord says through Haggai, I will shake the nations and the desired of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. Now, wait a minute. Didn't God, just a moment ago, say that the present temple was as nothing to the former temple by Solomon? And now he's saying, no, this future house is going to be greater than the temple of Solomon. Hold up. Hold up. He's not talking about a physical house anymore, is he? Because he was talking about something else. He's talking about a spiritual house. It's going to be glorified by this desired of all the nations. And who is that desired of all the nations? That's Jesus. That's who it is. He is the one who comes to you, your present house. Though your house, your body, your life is just a simple life, he can come in and He can make it glorious. These are the words given to the governor to strengthen him, to keep him going. And they are the words for us today to keep building our simple lives and to let God take care of glorifying them. You got your dreams, your future imagination, you got your past expectations. Lay that down. Let God worry about glorifying in the moment, in the present. 
You know, there were some words spoken to Jeshua the priest to keep him emboldened and to keep him at work on the building of the house of the Lord. And I kind of wondered if, you know, if Jeshua was discouraged or wondered in the face of opposition, if building the temple was just worth it. I mean, everybody was more concerned with their own houses. I mean, it's understandable. Everybody wants to be secure and feel safe. And he's continually offering these sacrifices on the altar for the sins of the people over and over. Day after day, it never ends. And all this opposition, maybe it's not worth building this house of God. Maybe he should just quit and go to work on his place like everybody else. He's got a farm he's got to take care of. So find security in a house instead of security in the Lord. But Zechariah steps up, Zechariah the prophet, and he describes a vision to Jeshua the high priest. And in the vision, Jeshua is standing there before the Lord. But there's somebody else standing right next to him. It's Satan. And he's accusing Jeshua. He's, he's throwing all kinds of insults and accusations at him. And the Lord tells Satan to shut up. He says, Lord, rebuke you. He says, Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And then the Lord has his angel remove Jeshua's filthy clothes, the dirty turban, and he replaces it with clean, rich garments. And then God tells Jeshua, Walk in my ways and you'll govern my house. And then the Lord reveals that this vision was not just to encourage Jeshua in the present, but it is symbolic of the coming of the righteous servant, who's described here with a name as the branch, who will remove the sin of the land in a single day. God is encouraging Jeshua to keep building, despite all the accusations of Satan, despite that he himself is like one of the sinful people. He's just a a, a burning stick snatched out of the fire, just like everybody else. And just uh, he's just been rescued from the fire like everyone else. And though there is this endless offering of sacrifices for sin over and over and over, there is going to be a day when God is going to remove the sin of the land in one single day. I'm sure he's going, man, when will that day come? Lord, bring it soon. Bring it soon. And what was that day? We get to hear about it because we live in the future. It's the day that Jesus died on the cross. Every sin of the land was removed in a single day, in a single moment. So God tells Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the people of Judah to keep building the present house to look forward to the coming spiritual house. And though Zechariah, through Zechariah, God says, you, you who now hear these words spoken by the prophets, who were there when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty, let your hands be strong so the temple may be built. Don't be afraid, but let your hands be strong. And that's what I want to say to you all here today. We are working on something physical here. Fixing a building, rearranging parts and places, doing things at the Gray Eagle, doing stuff physically outdoors at Highland in the Park. We're, we're doing these things that all have physical stuff. Trying to do stuff that's making things suitable for the mission of the church. But what we're really doing, what we're really doing is something more. We're looking towards something better. Everything we are doing now physically is pointing to Jesus and mirrors what He is doing in us spiritually. We are being built. God is doing rearranging, changing exits and entryways in us. He's 
He's building up and He's tearing down in us. We are being built by Him. And we can't quit and give up on that work that He's doing in us just because we face a little opposition. You can't quit just because things are getting a little tough when you're trying to pursue kingdom things, when you're trying to pursue spiritual things that you know are going to be good for you and for your family. You can't quit. You can't quit on your marriage. You can't quit on your children. You can't quit on your friendships. You can't quit on the church. You can't quit seeking the Lord. you got to keep coming to Jesus. Keep coming to Him. And as you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable God through Jesus Christ. For in the Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Look, I know there might be things tempting you to quit. How might I guess that? Because the same temptations come my way. And maybe there are things that you want. Like, I want. Like, the people of Judah wanted. Maybe to the point of wanting to give up and quit because it's just not coming out the way that you imagined the future to be. Or maybe it's not coming out the way that meets the expectations from your past. So you just want to quit. You know, the people of Judah, they wanted security to the point of abandoning the work of God. And I want you to think about here. I want you to think about what is it that you really want? What, what is it that you need? And I know sometimes it's hard distinguishing between the two. But maybe just don't try to have a big fight in your brain about what is wants and what is needs. Just lump it all together and let God sort it out for you. But there was a card put on your seats. And some pins here and there. And you might have to pass some pins around. But what, what I'd like you to do is to write down the things is... Write down those things that you feel like you spiritually need, spiritually want. What, what are those things that you want and need from a spiritual house? What is it you need and want from your church? God has put us here together right here in this moment. This is the present. Maybe the present doesn't look like your past. It doesn't look like what you imagine in the future. But these are the people that God has put around you for this moment right now. And God... There are some things that He answers. He fulfills the desires. He satisfies the needs. And He is the only one who can do that. But God also works through His people. And sometimes it's through His house, through His people, that He can meet needs and wants. And, and I guess part of this little exercise is, is, is I don't write down your name on it or anything. I would like you to consider writing this down on a card and, and bringing it up here and... and putting it by you know, either, either side of these boxes. Because what I like to do is, I, I like our elders, I like our uh, gel leaders, I like our staff, I like our staff to look over these needs and wants and to put them before the Lord and say, God, 
there are some things here that, that maybe we, we can do with your help. You working through us, we can meet some of these needs and wants. But there's some of these needs and wants, Lord, that only you can fulfill. And, and, and there's no way that a man could do these kind of things. You are the desired of all nations. You're the one who can fulfill and satisfy desires, wants, and needs. So God, we need you to meet these wants and needs and sort out what is a need and what is a want. And so that's, that's what we'd like to do. And in the next few weeks, we're going to be ending this series. And you know, we'll be talking about Nehemiah and He's building the wall. We're going to be talking about fortifying our lives, you know. And, and, and then there's the last part of the last part of the action of the story of the Old Testament where, where uh, the people make a covenant to return to God. And maybe some of this identifying right now, we might be recognizing some things like, oh yeah, this is a want, this is a need that I don't think a person could fulfill this. I think this is something only Jesus could really fulfill. And so maybe there's something we realize where we, we went to something else instead of Jesus to fulfill a need or a want. And maybe there's, in the next few weeks, there's going to be a moment where we kind of go, you know what, I need, to, I need to keep coming to Jesus, the spiritual architect of my life. I need to keep coming to Him, the builder of this house. I need to keep coming to Him, the desired of all the nations. And that might be part of our returning to Him in some way. We all have moments where we realign ourselves with Jesus. We get centered again. It's just like those, those submarines that go under the water for long periods of time near the North Pole. They have to come up every now and then and, and recalibrate their instruments because it gets thrown off by the, the pole. And sometimes we've got to do that. We've got to come back up and recalibrate to Jesus. So, I want us to seek God and ask Him if He can make us a church that can truly minister to these needs and wants in His name. And maybe, again, you look around and you just see the simpleness of this group of people. But these are the people that God has brought together. We're being built together. And just maybe if you don't quit, in the simpleness of this group of people around you, we can leave it up to God to make things glorious, to fulfill the desires and wants and needs with the one who is the desire of all nations. Would you, would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I pray that you bring clarity to each one here. Clarity with the struggles that go on within us about what we want and what we need. that you'd help sort it all out. And Lord, I, I do believe that there are things that the leadership of this church can do to help, to assist you in what you're doing in, in this spiritual building here of these people's lives. And there's things that are needed and wanted that can come from brothers and sisters in Christ. But we need to know what those are. We need to know we we got to come up with a way. So, Father, we, we look to you to show us the way to how to meet those needs and wants. And, Father, there's other things here that, as it's sorted out, we're going to recognize are, are things that only you can meet.
no human can ever touch or satisfy. And so we're going to need you to supply out of your glorious riches, out of the storehouse of heaven, supply what's needed. So Father, we look to you in this moment and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.